Welcome to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. I'm Steve Schwetz, inviting you aboard the Bible bus as we set out for Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19. So go ahead and grab your Bible and find your place. And while you do that, here's a letter that we recently received from a listener named Frazier. It's so meaningful to hear in-depth Bible study on a daily basis. It is also wonderful to be a member of the World Prayer Team. I get to pray and hear daily testimonies that affirm our prayers are answered and that our donations have an impact. As we went through the book of Esther, I was amazed at the timing. It was a major crossroads in my family, physical health, and my spiritual life, and my faith was bolstered by your teaching. I hand out a business card with your broadcast information to people I meet, hoping they will listen too. Well, thanks for your note, Fraser. With folks like you in mind, we've created a card just like this, and we call it our Bible Bus Pass. To get your free pack of 10, you can call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE, and we'll put them in the mail to you. Again, that's 1-800-65-BIBLE. Let's pray and get on the road. Heavenly Father, help us to hear your truth today and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We're off to Proverbs 3 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, friends, we have seen this young man in the book of Proverbs. He started out as a little boy in the home where he was told to listen to his father and mother. He moved out into life, and as he did, facing a big world, why he was instructed above all things to go after wisdom. In fact, he was not only challenged to do it, he was urged to do it. And he was told that it doesn't come easily. It requires study. It requires effort. It requires time. And the Spirit of God is not opening the Word of God to lazy minds. Only those that are alert and want to learn and want to know the will and the Word of God. Now we come here to verse 19. The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth. By understanding hath he established the heavens. Now, you and I live in a universe that is tremendously orderly. But the world, by wisdom, doesn't know God. Because today, many of the great scientific minds are not Christian. I've been rather amazed at the number of folk who work in the space program that are believers. Many of them listen to our program, and we've rejoiced in that, of course, and many of them support our program. But it's strange to me that those who study the laws of nature and probe into the secrets of the universe are not brought to the realization that we live in a universe that just couldn't have happened. And if it did happen, how did it happen, and where did it happen, and where is the chicken that hatched out the egg? You've just got to have that chicken somewhere along the line. And therefore, this orderly universe, so orderly that you can take a rocket, send it out in space, put three men in it, they go to the moon, and they are able to land on the moon and come back. And you say, my man is sure smart. Yes, he's smart, all right. He just found out the laws of God and that everything operates just like a computer. (laughs) And my friend, if this was a universe by chance, it would not operate according to a computer. But they put that little computer working, and 
the rocket goes right there and comes back because there's certain laws God has made. God by wisdom made this. And God is, and I do not mean to be irreverent, God is no dummy. You and I need to recognize that God is an intelligent person. And he, I think, would appreciate the fact that if we showed more intelligence, more knowledge of him and his ways. Now, you find out about it in his school, the Word of God. That's the only place. Now, he goes on here, and he speaks of this. Verse 21, My son, let them not depart from thine eyes. That is, God's knowledge. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So shall they be life unto thy soul and grace to thy neck. You see, life and grace come through this wisdom of actually studying the Word of God. Then shalt thou walk in thy way safely, and thy foot shall not stumble. It's good for you when you're walking. And then when thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. There is today in the heart of man a certain fear, a certain hang-up that he has about life. And these things come to us. And what is the solution? And we spend most of our time either walking or lying down, and therefore we need to recognize that a knowledge of the Word of God is the answer to all of that. How wonderful it is here to find out that the truth of God It will hold us. It's not that you and I hold the truth, but the truth will hold us. Now, he goes on to say here in verse 25, "...be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of the desolation of the lawless when it cometh." Now, this is a verse that has meant a great deal to me. I have a hang-up on flying. I don't enjoy it. Very candidly, I sit there waiting for the plane to fall You want to know the truth? I think, well, in the next minute, this is it. But this is a verse that has been of great encouragement and help to me. I take it with me when I go by plane, and I go by plane a great deal. Be not afraid of sudden fear. Don't be afraid of that next minute. God's taken care of the one you're in. He'll take care of the next one. Neither of the desolation of the lawless when it cometh. For Jehovah shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. It's a time like that that you need to trust God. And that's when I really talk to him. I say to him, Lord, this morning when I was in bed before I got up, I didn't really need you as much then as I do right now. Here I am up 38,000 feet in the air, and I'm just a little frightened. Now I said, this is the test. Give me that confidence and give me that assurance that you're going to keep my foot from falling. In fact, you don't worry up there about stumping your toe. You worry about other things, but it all amounts to the same thing. Now, will you notice, he goes on and says here, this is a marvelous, marvelous proverb that we're coming to here. In fact, several of them. Withhold not good from its owners when it is in the power of thy hand to do it. There was a man, and the man was my dad. I have no reason to believe my dad was a Christian. He didn't like the organized church. He was opposed to it. 
and I'm sure very bitter about it, but always felt he was rightly related to God personally in his life. And one of the reasons is, my dad, we'd be, this is a long time ago, we'd be riding down in West Texas in a buggy down a country road. Well, a gate had come open and a man's cows had gotten out. My dad would stop and drive the cows back in and shut the gate, old wire gate. I can see him now as he had pulled that gate to and put that wire over the top. And he'd get back in the buggy, not say anything to anybody. And he never mentioned it to the man what he'd done. It was things like that in his life that made me believe that he knew God probably a little better than some of the saints that I meet today. Withhold not good from its owners when it's in the power of thy hand to do it. And then notice this, say not unto thy neighbor, go and come again, and tomorrow I will give when thou hast it by thee. <laughs> oh, how many people today say, well, now I'm going to support your program. You can count on me. <laughs> But I have to wait until something comes in. My ship comes in. Well, my friend, they got a bank account right there, and then they could have written a check for the radio program. Now, I use that as an illustration because it's pretty vital and very close to me. But very candidly, friends, how many people do that? They use that type of an excuse in all relations of life. They say, now, I can't help you right now. You come back tomorrow. And they could have done it right there and then. And we're told, oh, no man ought but love. That is something about the child of God that ought to reveal him. You know, when you and I owe money to another person, that money we have is not ours. It belongs to the other man. And to use it for our own purposes actually is dishonesty. And that's the thing that he's saying here. And verse 29, "...devise not evil against thy neighbor." seeing he dwelleth confidently by thee. You've got a good neighbor. And don't do things that would be to your advantage, but to his disadvantage. Don't try to keep up with the Joneses by undermining the Joneses. That is what he's saying here. And it's to abuse a confidence. How wonderful it is to have a neighbor. And you say, would you sort of keep an eye on my place? I'm going to be gone a few days. And you get back and you find out that he did quite a few things. Well, he doesn't say anything about it. These are practical things. And friends, it reveals a man's relationship to God because these are things that God is saying to us today. Be very practical. Now he says, Strive not with a man without cause, if he hath done thee no harm. We are told to resist not evil. Now, under the law, it was a sin to strive with another without adequate ground. But under grace, God says to us, avenge not yourself. Vengeance is mine, I'll repay, saith the Lord. We leave the pathway of faith and trust in God when you and I take matters in our own hands. I think that if we've been done unjustly, turn the individual over to God and let God deal with him. I have found out over a period of many years as a minister that if someone does you harm, you can hit back. But go to God. Let him know that you've been hurt. And tell him about it and turn them over to God. And tell the Lord, this is your business. You said you'd take care of it. 
You know, and I've watched over a period of years, God deals with folk like that. These are wonderful proverbs. They're helpful not only for young men, but old men too, and women and girls, in fact, the human race. And then verse 31, Envy thou not the violent man, and choose none of his ways. For the froward is abomination to Jehovah, but his secret is with the righteous. Now, there's certain people that are actually an abomination to the Lord. And the fact of the matter is, you're going to find out a little later some of the things God hates. And he mentions them here in Proverbs. We'll be getting to that. Now, he says here, the curse of Jehovah is in the house of the lawless, but he blesseth the habitation of the just. Now, there's something I haven't been following along very carefully here. Remember, I said at the beginning, you'll find a proverb for every character in the Bible and most of your friends. I think you'll have a proverb for them. Now, the curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked. That's Ahab. I tell you, God certainly judged that house. And this is the proverb that would fit him just like a glove. Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. Now, God seems to hate the scorner, the arrogant, the conceited. And then we're told here, the wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. There are quite a few that that fits, and maybe you know somebody, but we're not going to get personal here today. Now, we find that there were many in that day that envied the rich, and then they found out, old Asaph did, that God judged the rich. Now, that brings us to the end of that chapter, and I want to move now into chapter 4. And we find here, again, he says, Hear ye children. And that includes, I think, all of the children, young and old, male and female. Hear ye children the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Forsake ye not my law, for I was my father's son. Now, Solomon wrote this. He's talking about his own father. And notice, I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. Now, there are those that feel like that what you have here, that the father's heart was wrapped up in this boy Solomon. I don't see it like that. I think the historical books that tell us the life of David and Solomon reveal that Solomon was not the choice the first choice of his father. And Solomon was not the one that I'm confident that David would have chosen. I don't think that this boy brought up in the women's palace and brought up as more or less of a sissy. I've always felt Solomon was that type of a man. And he was a playboy. And David didn't have too much in common with him. But David gave him advice, and he may not have given it to him in a way that the boy would accept it. But he says, I'm a father's son, but it was tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. It was my mother that really loved me and taught me. And he says, he taught me also. I think David gave him a great deal of advice. And you remember when he was made king, David said to him, play the man. I don't think David felt he would play the man, but he taught him, and he said unto me, Let thy heart retain my words, 
and keep my commandments and live. He said, I've learned by experience that you better obey the Lord. And I think that probably David was not as kind in teaching this son as he probably could have been. As we've said before, I've never felt David was a success as a father. And that's been true of a great many men. But the unfortunate thing that the life of David was something that he could emulate. Now, I know there are those going to write in and say, yes, but look what David did. He did that before Solomon came along, and he didn't live like that. David turned from that type of a life altogether. Now, let's move along, because he's now giving advice, Solomon is, to a young man. And he's really laying it on the line. Get wisdom, get understanding, and forget it not, neither decline from the sayings of my mouth. Forsake her not, she shall preserve thee. Now, wisdom here will be depicted as one who keeps a school, as she sent out her catalog. And the other one, the stranger woman, she's bidding for the interest of the young man also. And now wisdom is urging him to come to her school that he might be wise. And now Solomon is saying, forsake her not. She shall preserve thee, love her, and she shall keep thee. And that, I think, is probably the difference today in man at the present time in relation to this matter of education and of knowledge and of learning. Do we love wisdom? Do we love the Word of God? The interesting thing is that human knowledge, as Pascal said, it must be understood to be loved, but divine knowledge must be loved to be understood. And so if you're going to understand the Word of God, there are several things you've got to bring to it, and that's a love for the Word of God. And then you bring to it a mind that's willing to be taught that the Spirit of God can open up the great truths to you. How important it is to see that. Listen to the way he speaks of wisdom. Forsake her not. She shall preserve thee. Love her. She shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. It's not just knowledge. It's not just to have a computer mind. We seem to have quite a few of those around. But it's wisdom and intelligence to use knowledge aright and to have a love for it. And that is something that the soul of man needs. The reason that education is not satisfying is because the way it's dished out. The most impressive thing here is that we are therefore to get wisdom, how important this is. And he says, exalt her. She shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor. When thou dost embrace her, she shall give to thy head a chaplet of grace, a diadem of beauty shall she deliver. The very interesting thing here is that wisdom is like a love for a woman, that it's to be like that. And now when you come to the New Testament, it's changed. Christ has been made unto us wisdom, and we're to love him. The real difficulty today is not that there are problems in the Bible. The real difficulty today that in man there is not that love and longing for God and for the things of God. When that is there, then this book will begin to open up because the Spirit of God 
will become the teacher. This is very important we're in right now, friends. Let's not pass it over life. Dr. McGee has more to share in just a minute, but first, join me this weekend for his Sunday sermon, The Christian Conflict. Hop aboard by app or online at ttb.org or call 1-800-65-BIBLE if we can help you find it. Again, that's ttb.org or call 1-800-65-BIBLE. Now here again is Dr. McGee. Let's not forget that Solomon said that the child should not forsake the law of his mother. Now, I want to repeat again that I do not think David was a good father. Look at his sons. Look what happened in his family. He was not what you'd call a family man. He obviously had not attended any of the seminars that are on marriage because he didn't seem to follow through on it. And I do not personally consider David a good father. The boy that rebelled against him was the one he loved above everything else, and that was Absalom. Now, David evidently did not hold Solomon as the apple of his eye. But remember, it was Bathsheba who was his mother. And I believe she was a good mother. If you notice that even the New Testament makes it clear that it was not Bathsheba's sin, it was David's sin. The New Testament opens that he had begotten Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. Her name's not mentioned. The Spirit of God protects her because it was not her sin. But Solomon was her son. She had lost her first one. And now she puts all of her love and affection in teaching this boy Solomon. And I believe the last chapter of Proverbs, you're going to see a mother's advice to Solomon. And she calls him there Lemuel. And she saw what had hindered David, and she gave her advice to Lemuel, to Solomon. And what she said was to leave off the wine, the women, and the song. David didn't. Now, she's the one that prepared Solomon to be king. And that's the reason that you have this note of tenderness at this particular juncture. It's the love of wisdom. And she's spoken of as a woman. And it's that kind of a love, which means a deep devotion. May I say to you, that's the thing, and I say it again, that's so desperately needed today. Now, before we pass it by and get out of this particular section, let me say that I mentioned my fear of flying. After I made the tape, I had an experience of coming out of Dallas, Texas in a rainstorm, and I have never heard such thunder, and I've never seen such lightning. The sheet light played on the wing of the plane. And I want to tell you that there were some on that plane that were deathly white. And I want to say that it was at that time that I turned to the Lord, 
And I said, Lord, I'm here, I think, by your appointment, and I want to test you. And I want to say very definitely that I commit my way into your hands. And believe it or not, friends, for the first time, and with that plane bouncing up and down and the sign-on to say to tighten your seat belts, I could relax and shut my eyes and say to my heavenly Father, I'm in your hands. It was a wonderful experience for me, by the way, to find that for the first time, it's easy for me to lie in bed and say, I trust the Lord, you know, because even if I fall out of bed, I don't think I'd get hurt. But it was a real experience, may I say to you, to be 38,000 feet in the air in a storm. I never seen the like of it before. And to be able to say, I'm trusting you, my heavenly Father. So I've come a long ways in the past few years. Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. Jesus came home, to him I Through the Bible exists to take God's whole word to the whole world. And we invite you to stand with us with your faithful prayer and financial support. Where will God's word go today?